Psalm 22. This is a messianic psalm par excellence. That means that it's a psalm that predicts, points forward to the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is uh, interesting about this psalm is every word really is Jesus speaking. They're the words of Jesus. And you'll recognize immediately, you know, in verse 1, uh, these are words from the cross. The first half of this psalm uh, uh, describes the cross, and it starts off with those plaintive words of Christ, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's an incredible description of the torments that Jesus went through. But then in the last uh, uh, phrase of verse 21, the mood changes, and it says, you have answered me. And from there on, it speaks of the wonderful blessings that flowed from the cross and from the resurrection of Christ. Uh, for example, you've got in uh, verses um, 27 through 28, all of the families of the earth uh, getting converted and worshiping God, being part of His glorious kingdom. Verse 29 deals again with communion, uh, both the rich and the poor eating together. Verses 30 through 31 talks about covenant succession. So that's the context, but I want to focus in on verses 25 through 26 as we come to the Lord's table. And as I read these two verses, I want you to notice that the my, the word my is capitalized. The translators are realizing, okay, this is Jesus himself speaking, and he is speaking to the Father. My praise shall be of you in the great assembly. I will pay my vows before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. Now, commentators have pointed out that this is a very clear description of the new covenant meal that we're going to be partaking of here today. It's uh, the Lord's table during the time of Christ's kingdom. And John Calvin says about these words, Now, if the fathers under the law had their spiritual life renewed and invigorated by their holy feasts, this virtue will show itself much more abundantly at this day in the Holy Supper of Christ provided those who come to partake of it seek the Lord truly and with their whole heart. And so what I want to do is I want to quickly go through these two verses and show you eight things concerning the Lord's table that I think are very encouraging uh, teachings. And the first thing is that this Lord's table is in the context of praise, not of sorrow. Okay, this is not a time to be glum where we try to get ourselves sad thinking about, you know, the nails going through Christ's wrist or whatever. When you uh, look at the New Testament descriptions of the Lord's table, it doesn't look like a funeral service. It looks very joyful. Of course, funeral services can be joyful too, can't they? They can be homegoings. But this is really not a funeral service because he is a risen Lord and it consistently speaks of praise, of thanksgiving, of rejoicing. And certainly Jesus is praising God in the, these verses here. And so the psalmist says of the New Covenant times, my praise shall be of you in the great assembly. The second thing to notice, I just read, is that this table here occurs in the great assembly. This is not a private meal like uh, home churches have tended to do where family can just take communion by themselves. Uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 very clearly distinguishes between the meals people have in their homes. 
And he said, you can do that on your own, but that's not what the Lord's Supper is about. And uh, three or four times he mentions that the Lord's Supper is when the whole church is gathered together. It's in the great assembly. Third, it's connected to vows. Now, I want you to notice who makes the vows here. It's pretty interesting. It's Jesus. Jesus says, I will pay my vows before those who fear him. Okay, the my is capitalized here, so it's Jesus rejoicing and praising God. It's Jesus who was making these vows. He makes these vows in the great assembly before those who fear God. Now, to me, this is staggering to think that every time I come to the Lord's table, Jesus is making a vow on my behalf. And yet that's exactly uh, what the, the Scripture says. Fourth, we who are gathered with Christ are called to fear God. That's the description of what a Christian is. It's those who fear God. And so there's a balance between praise and rejoicing and fear and reverence. Okay, it's not just going wild, but there is a, a reverence as we are coming before the great king of the universe. Fifth, it says the poor shall eat and be satisfied. Now, several commentators have pointed out that that could be translated the meek shall eat and be satisfied, but it really doesn't matter which way you translate it because if you're poor in spirit, you're going to come with meekness. You're going to come with a total dependence upon uh, God. And so this is not a meal that is for the proud. This is a meal for the meek, for those who are poor in spirit. Uh, in other words, we don't come to this table because we're strong, uh, but because we need his strength. We don't come because, hey, I, I, I'm worthy to come because I got it all pulled together. Uh, I don't think any of us got it all pulled together. We come because we need his grace and the riches of his grace in our lives. Sixth, it is these meek or poor who are satisfied. You know, some people come to the Lord's table week after week, and it does nothing for them. They could take it. They could leave it. It doesn't really mean much for them. They can't even understand why Jesus said, with fervent desire, I've desired to eat the Lord's table. They can't understand, you know, how in centuries past, people uh, wept when they were barred from the Lord's table. They couldn't stand it. This is something that is very precious in the eyes of those who are meek, those who have faith. And so it says here that um, the meek shall eat and be satisfied. Um, when you come in faith, when you come in meekness, you are satisfied. It's an incredible promise. Uh, and the reason we're satisfied is because Christ himself is with us, fulfilling his vows on our behalf. And then seventh, this is not a passive sacrament. It's an active sacrament where we seek God by faith. It says those who seek him will praise him. Now, why do we praise him? Because if we seek him with all of our heart, we shall surely find him. The reality of God's presence is guaranteed, but it's only for those who actively seek him. And then there's one more point in these two verses I think is very encouraging. Jesus speaks to us saying, let your heart live forever. And he's not talking to the Father here. He's talking to you. So the same person because everything was made by the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were all involved. And uh, it says in, that there was nothing made that was made that was not made by Jesus. So the same God who said, let there be light, and light, boom, came into existence, who said, 
uh, you know, and he, he gave various things. He spoke the worlds into existence. He speaks to your soul, and he says, let your soul live forever. Well, hey, if he speaks, let your soul live forever in this sacrament, your soul will live forever. And so it gives us a sense of security as well. So as we come to the Lord's table this morning, let's uh, come knowing that if God is for us, who can be against us? Father God, we do come to you so thankful for your generous promises uh, to us, your people, and we do want to come with meekness. We realize that our hearts are so prone to self-dependence and pride, and uh, yet we pray that by your grace you would even give the meekness that you command us to come with. Help us to partake of this meal in a way where we are satisfied, where we find your presence, where we enter into your presence with rejoicing. And so I pray that you would set aside these common elements to a holy use and that you would be glorified as we partake. Each one here truly would be strengthened and find joy in the Lord in time of trouble. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.